Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. The conclusion, the philosophical conclusion, the practical one that I arrived at is that I do everything in my power to put in the energy that I believe is good, you know, for me and for the world and for the people around me. And I, and I do it with great patience and uh, great passion and great love. And I keep doing it. You just heard the voice of Tessa Lena. Her music and writing are all about being human in the world of technology, big data, and machine-like people. Tessa has already appeared on Postwoke in episode 40, so if you check the show notes, you'll find a link for that episode, plus all the relevant links to keep up with Tessa's work. I'll be right back with our excellent conversation after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. And I'm here with Tessalena. Tessa, welcome back to Post Woke. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It, it was such a great conversation last time. I'm very excited to talk to you again. Likewise, I, I was looking forward to this. And, and when you and I were emailing, we were joking about the concept of counting sub uh, masks on the subway because here in New York, they um, finally uh, released the uh, transportation mask mandate. But we were both l- lamenting how many people still wear masks. And I have to admit that... After that email conversation, I was taking a short train ride from Astoria to Long Island City and back, and I did count. I know that's weird, but I counted. My curiosity got the best of me. And on the way there, there were 40 people in the car counting me, of which 21 were still masked. And on the way home, there were 11 people counting me, and six were masked. Now, I bring this up because I want to talk about your excellent essay, Anatomy of Forgiveness, And one of the main points you bring in there, one of the many points I should say, is that we should choose our battles wisely. And I'm going to quote you and then give you space to go from there. You wrote, if we waste our energy on being overly frustrated 
uh, over strangers will be in a perpetual battle with thousands of people, and that's not a happy existence. So I simply choose to apply my efforts where it makes sense to apply them and don't get bother getting too frustrated with things I have no power to change in the moment, i.e. masks on the subway. So could you, <laughs> could you share with us a little about this essay, your motivation to write it, and the like what you were hoping that readers would get out of it? Oh, well, first of all, thank you. And that essay, that is kind of my entire life. I mean, uh, I think we all get frustrated over frustrating things, especially when they're illogical and they insult our sanity and our intellect and our feelings and the sense of normalcy. And that's a completely natural reaction. And then at least through my own journey, you know, you get frustrated, frustrated, fr frustrated. And I remember that experience from way before COVID when, you know, when Russia gate started coming up and, mm -hmm. and I thought, uh, nobody's going to believe this nonsense. I mean, it is so absurd. And all of a sudden I see my friends on Facebook and, uh, in real life getting completely enchanted with it. And then I read them and I read the news and I argue with everybody in my head. And th that is, that is extremely energy consuming. And typically, as I think most of us have found out, it doesn't really change much because people believe what they want to believe. You have a chance of changing somebody's mind, probably face to face with some benevolence on both sides and a wise tone of conversation. But typically people, they do go through their own journey and they may agree with you in, in the end, hopefully, but it may take them 10 years. And, uh, there's a big difference, as I found, between putting in the work sort of intelligently uh, in a, I don't want to say calculated manner because then it sounds psychopathic, not that kind of calculated, mm -hmm. but just uh, in terms of like figuring out, do you think it makes sense to talk to this person now, whether it's a stranger or somebody you know, and whether they are ready to hear that and in what tone and do it kindly, and if you think there's a chance and if it's if it's worth your time, then do it. Otherwise, maybe they need to walk for five years or 10 years or 20 years or, you know, two weeks. We don't know. But if somebody is not ready to perceive certain information as much as I want to convince everybody and as much as I think that I'm right, of course, just like all of us think, regardless of what we think, yes. we think we're right. Right. So but the world is big and there's there's a lot of confusion in the world. There's a lot of confusion that is centuries old. And I would be a fool thinking that I just come up with some idea and it's going to change everybody's mind. I don't think this is how it works. It may have a chance as in, you know, I put in something in the world, into the world and I keep at it and I keep at it and I keep at it. And maybe there's going to be something absolutely beautiful and magical and wonderful coming out of it on the other end. Maybe the result will be visible in a thousand years in ways that I cannot even comprehend or see right now, where I am right now. So the conclusion, the philosophical conclusion, the practical one that I arrived at is that I do everything in my power to put in the energy that I believe is good, you know, for me and for the world and for the people around me. And I, and I do it with great patience and uh, great passion and great love and I keep doing it and uh, I don't want to be stopped by 
you know, people maybe disagreeing with me or obstacles. So I keep doing what I believe is the right thing to do. But I think getting specifically frustrated over the fact that maybe people are slow to agree or they do illogical things. It's just not practical, meaning mm. there could be any reason, very good reasons to feel this way. But by accepting that frustration, nothing exactly is going to get accomplished because you're just going to be frustrated and frustrate yourself to to scrambles because yeah. there's a lot of stupidity in the world and just one me or one you and one each of us. So that's the practical motive. OK, well, I want to just throw in my two cents and then bring it to forgiveness where I do feel, and this is hardly revelatory, that I can delineate a pre-social media and post-social media time in terms of, I now, of course, interact with so many more people, or at least I'm exposed to, than I was prior to the invention of social media, which then I think ramps up the frustration that when you feel that there's stupidity in the world or that people are being manipulated, but they can't see it, that it's not just someone who lives on your block or when you go to Thanksgiving, it's your aunt or your uncle. It's it's thousands of people on your newsfeed and, and in comment threads. And so I, I, I do feel like this has reached a fever pitch where, where the, the, there's so many positives of being exposed to new people and new ideas, but the negatives could be that it creates this um, divide where inevitably, plus the algorithms play a role, inevitably we just slide into our tribes anyway, which now I want to bring to the part, the forgiveness part, because I want you to clarify um, based on that intro that you gave there, like where does the forgiveness fit in? You write in a perfect world when someone hurts you or lets you down, once they realize they say sorry and then invest in meaningful healing. When that happens, some parts of us heal forever, and it's an act of rebirth, divinity, and creation. And of course, it doesn't always happen when forgiveness and healing isn't present. Um, so what I would like you to do is connect what you, the intro you, you gave us to where forgiveness fits in, and then kind of tie it into how do we function when that type of healthy forgiveness doesn't exist? Uh, well, now I will have to talk for about 15 hours <laughs> and then <laughs> how about three minutes? <laughs> Can you condense it a bit? Yeah, 140 characters, please. <laughs> uh, so like first, uh, then I would have to kind of go over the essay. So, uh, let me go into classifications. So, uh, when it comes to people and how we relate to different people, uh, there's a particular class of people, for example, that are uh, predatory and psychopathic and they're born predators. So with those people, I don't really emotionally co connect to them. I don't try to understand them beyond the practical. And I don't really, I, I, I don't hate them. That's important. I don't hate them. But also I don't aspire for the exercise of feeling warm and fuzzy or trying to forgive them. I just feel nothing. I just feel like they are, they need to be disabled as far as my life is concerned. And as far as my loved one are concerned, they need to not be able to cause harm as much as I, as much as I can help it. But I don't feel, I don't feel hatred because the existential, uh, big picture, as far as predators go, uh, to my senses, is like this. So they exist 
they have an existential right to exist because they have a purpose. Their purpose is to keep us awake because I think human beings in general, uh, we are inclined towards complacency and that has nothing to do with, with being smart or stupid or you know, wise, not wise. This is kind of human nature. So we, when we are too comfortable for too long, we become complacent and then we start cutting corners on important things. And that's just, I think, a path of a human being or a path of civilization. So the, the, even, even if as far as civilization is concerned, so first there is difficulty and struggle in a trans character, and then there's comfort, and then from comfort comes complacency and corruption, and then it crashes and it goes back into difficulty, and then the cycle repeats endlessly. So they, I believe, serve the purpose of uh reminding us that we should really appreciate good things when we have good things it's not like a free-for-all so we we have to be grateful to all the good forces that help us to have good things we i mean we have to invest into our character we have to invest into spiritual strength and being coherent in our own behavior in our own feelings and thoughts and and uh code of honor of, of sorts, right? So if people stop doing that, then it gives the predators a very vast ground for like doing whatever they want, which is kind of what we're observing in society. Because yeah. let's say Klaus Schwab or Bill Gates or, uh, you know, the owners upstairs, as I cryptically uh, call them, I mean, whoever is above them and controlling them, right? So they... Um, they are not like us. They think differently. They they probably don't even think of us as alive or human in the sense that it's like a little little ant hill and there's all those little ants and you distinct, don't distinguish between them and you don't really care. It's almost like, well, when we have, uh, I don't know, cockroaches in our house, we don't feel particularly remorseful if we kill a cockroach because cockroaches are encroaching on what we feel is our turf. So I think they probably think similarly about the rest mm. of humanity. So there's really no connection, no relation. I mean, they're, they're in their own entirely different world. So they may think that they're saving the world. They may think that they like killing. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't care which one, because I'm not their psych psychotherapist. I don't want to be their th psychotherapist, quite frankly. And I think about that particular category of people in a sense that Again, there's a big picture. So we all we're all born for something. They were born with this function. There's a big price to pay for playing this function. So when, uh, as far as at, at least the way I believe in you know, cosmology and theology and things like that, there's I mean they go back, they go back home to where we all come from, and then they deal with the consequences of what they've done. And there's balance, and it's not punishment. It's just they they need to then fix the ha havoc and maybe be reborn as a big hero or something. I mean, it's it's unknown, meaning it, it's beyond my scope of responsibilities here and now. So I don't really get worked up over that. I mean, I feel obviously indignant and I think, oh my God, what are they doing? What, what are they doing to the world? I feel all those things, obviously. I'm, I'm here and it's very disturbing what they're doing. But again, if I spend too much of my energy getting worked up over something, over their existence, then that will jeopardize my actual like work to do. So 
that's them that's the predators i i i despise what they're doing i think it's awful and i just think that my role is to protect myself and the loved ones and the world around me as much as i can and leave the rest of the to the universe then the vast majority of bad things happen i think is because people are confused so people who are born for good things with own beautiful gifts they are born to be constructive in this world they are born to love to heal to create good things to do useful things for the community for the people for the world but our society is very messed up and we go through i mean the world and the community tries to traumatize us from the moment of birth or maybe even prior to that and that was even before 2020 i mean like now it's outrageously bad but yeah. even prior uh, it's they try to fit you into the mold that may have nothing to do with what you want to do and then you have to comply with ridiculous rules and the religion is tampered with the you know love is tampered with science is tampered with knowledge is tampered with I and mean, everything is not not how it, it's in a natural sense so we have to deal with all that trauma and our parents trauma and our grandparents trauma and going back 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 for many generations so that's difficult and a lot of people uh get so broken that they just keep on passing the trauma to their kids and to people around them and and they're not doing it because they're evil and they're not doing it because they're stupid I mean some people are smarter than others but I mean like that that's not even relevant here so they're doing it because they don't know better and if I think all of us can even some complaints about you know our own parents or our own family and there can be great love but nonetheless you know if people are broken then they break their kids and they try to teach them how to be afraid they teach them to please like for example a big a big thing in the Soviet society was pleasing the others so especially as a woman I mean essentially you have to you have to be pleasant and and my personality is independent so there was a big uh conflict here not 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 in the sense of conflict but I was not I was not happy about it at all and it took me many years to figure out what was going on so when people are confused they do stupid things they do harmful things they do destructive things and then if somebody is say less confused or more coherent with some natural beauty then it's very painful and if that person say less confused is young then they're they're being broken because they think oh my god am i crazy something wrong with me like what's going on the world is horrible and the harm is being done right so it takes a lot of work to go through all this breakage through all this trauma and to end up on the other end loving the people who are confused and I learned to do it not through any sort of intellectual process and not through any sort of like books that I read that were wise I mean I read many books when I when I was a teenager I was younger I was actually reading a lot more about philosophy than like now I just try to think through from the inside but it's not the books that teach you about it in in my experience it's actually banning your head on the wall and feeling desperate and feeling completely helpless and not knowing what to do and then out of that comes the realization that there's love all over all of it like all of it all the crap and all the 
trauma that people like good people are giving you that's actually love in a very twisted way even if we think about going back to masks parents who mask their kids they, are they trying to harm their kids of course no. not they think they're protecting their kids that's love that's messed up love but that's love yeah so and for example growing up in the soviet union and by the way i'm talking forever as i said 15 uh, 15 <laughs> hours so if you want me to shut up and like like say no i never no i don't want you to shut up please please continue i'm i'm fascinated so so when i was a a kid right the whole society the soviet society at the moment when i was there it was very late soviet union like falling apart kind of already so guilt was a big deal like you, you know like you're supposed to comply right and and it's not even about any specific thing you have to comply with it's just that you have to know that the collective uh is more important than than you and and again there's a whole other philosophical thing about what is the collective actually that's a whole other uh, kind of worms but let's say this abstract collective that is presented to you as the will of the people around you but it's really like state propaganda but the people around you have imbibed it internalized it so they give it to you as their as the will of the people around you as the goodness as the good and the benefit of the people around you but it's, but it's really state propaganda uh but that's, but that's not discussed so and then and then what do you do with that as a kid like if you're kind kid if you want you, you first of all you want to please the adults because you want to be loved because if you don't please them then they're angry and then 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 you're suffering and then they want to punish you or you feel unloved alone or rejected so you want to please them and and they tell you that in order to please them you have to do certain things and they might be not very natural they might be just state propaganda but you do it because you want to be loved and and then you have like problems right you there's something is missing you're unhappy you you're sad but you don't know why and you don't really feel respected but you don't even know the words for that you just know that something is like you just said and and like i went through all that and it took me many 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 years of active thinking like what was going on there like what where those ideas come from and then i started watching movies from i don't know 40 50s or earlier and and I realized what kind of crap the generations prior were fed through their television, through their propaganda, through and that was just crap. But yeah. they, they believed it and they were trying to give it to me. Like life is hard and life is struggle and it's supposed to be this way. And their life was hard in earnest. And they were they were they, they, they were hurt. And they didn't know any other life other than the very difficult life of a Soviet person with like many many difficulties and poverty and all that and so they knew that life was that so when I had ideas that life was something else they were like no 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 like life is this but they were actually trying to be loving they were trying to prepare me for the real yes. life right so but then it goes further because that Soviet model of life is hard it actually came from state Christian propaganda and I want to specifically say state Christian propaganda because I think that historical Jesus Christ he would be very very ashamed of the things that were done I, I concur yes and so that was a very tricky thing because 
I mean, I, I don't really want to go into history too, 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 too uh, far because or too much because I don't consider myself an expert on, in early Christianity, for example. I just know the outline. But, you know, the things that were given to people as the institutional religion, they, in my understanding, were very, very different from the original, like, good, honest, divine message, right? And so what is it? You should be guilty. You should uh, accept that suffering is normal and you should revere the authorities and that sounds very 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 tricky to me because it then, sounds similar too it sounds like you should have nothing and be happy exactly exactly and so and i remember i mean that specific example when I, when i was a kid and i mean like i think i was a preschooler i don't remember exact age but very very little and my and it was forbidden like religion was not allowed it was completely underground completely banned uh, so I was taught that religion is opium for the people and all that. So uh, my mom decided to baptize me very underground. So she wanted to do it for the something very good for uh, not even out of rebellion, but just to, to do something good for me, something real, something that was banned. And she took me to a priest. He traumatized me for many years because like I, okay, so I was a small kid. Uh, and all of a sudden he tells me you were born sinful, you were born bad, you have to apologize to God for essentially just being you and you have to just ask for forgiveness from God because you're dirty and bad and sinful. And I was a kid, he was an adult that was supposed to be important, I believed him. And I just remember how I started praying for like all those things. Why? Why was I born dirty? I mean, that's yeah. propaganda. And but Soviet culture was coming out of that. So it took that entire history of like 10, 11 centuries of state Christian propaganda. And I want to again say state Christian propaganda, institutional one. And so it fit right in. It said, okay, religion is horrible, but it, it kept the sentiment. It just replaced the talking points. Wow. Wow. That that's a that last point i mean all of that was fascinating that last point it's like the that's what they're going to take out of it i went to 12 years of catholic school so i'm i'm totally from the time i'm as young as you're talking about being i'm taught original sin that i'm born you know unclean and i have this original sin and and for for a state institution to say well that's what we need the masses to believe and then instead of looking to the heavens they look to their computers they look to consumerism they look to their elected officials and and the list goes on and it's just another form of religion without anything divine or spiritual about it oh exactly and here comes the biohazard because it is existentially a very similar sentiment whether you're born dirty because you're just uh, dirty in the theological sense, or you're literally dirty. You're full of bugs. You're biohazard. That's that's supposed to keep you keep you looking down and not liking yourself very much and needing intermediaries to to save you in this way or the other. And that's tricky. Yes. Yeah. It. It. I mean, obviously, we all benefit from having mentors and and but but. The, the the power the real powers that shouldn't be like you said the the people upstairs the high of the highest of the high they they really only it's like you should have no other god besides me you know like one of the ten commandments it's that's how they the klaus schwabs and the the fed and the central banks and all these people see it that way we're the ultimate you know you can you can 
you can um, like a celebrity, you can worship this or that, but we're, you know, we're the God. And it's fascinating how they took this, they took the template, peeled away everything that could uh, benefit a human soul and then said, here's the template. And like you said, if you're so young, when you were introduced to the template, it's hard not to embrace it as familiar, even as an adult and be and like to, to use the word you, you kept saying and be confused about it, but then be too afraid to stray from it because this is the template you can remember from as early as you can remember anything. Well, exactly. And I think the tyrants know very well how to play people and how to use it. It's sort of like this feeling of fake security, but it's not real because they have the freedom to betray you at any point and toss you out and kill you or maim you and without any warning. And and it's a big question. Now we go back to the predators. So let's say hypothetical, and I'm just creating a hypothetical scenario. So the first uh, say within a sort of certain phase of history, the first predator who came up with this gimmick, psychological gimmick, uh, they could believe in it. Uh, they could be schizophrenic. They could genuinely believe that, you know, God told them that this is how things should be. Uh, or they could be just calculating. But it doesn't matter because if, if they are giving if they're trying to trick people into something that is actually separating people from the divinity and from the creator, we, I mean, we all we have, by virtue of being human beings, we do have the right and I would argue the obligation to connect with the spiritual realm and with the creator. And there are many, many ways, names and that, that, that that's intimate and private to everybody. and their mentor and all those things but if somebody claims not because somebody asked them to but i mean they, they just claim that okay from now on whatever you were doing before was 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 incorrect god told me that this is the correct way to do it therefore you have to abandon everything you were doing before and follow my way because i say so i mean there's a big question here i mean like what if he's just tricky or what if he's just crazy right i mean and and i think many historical figures throughout history try to do that and yeah. unfortunately we live in a very very much in a mythological way and the way i think about it and i'm yet to write something to, to this effect it's almost like they create an artificial spirit because and synthetic age that we're in right now in the literal sense of it with synthetic biology and all that that is almost like a culmination of that entire principle because we do always have as human beings connection to the to the mystery of life to the creator yes. and that's we might very greatly benefit from the mentors or people who understand this world or who can guide us and keep us real for real i mean we, we absolutely can and we typically need that too right but there's a big difference between that like a good mentor a person who actually understand understands how it works would be interested in helping the mentee is it a real word? Or, I mean, the, the person. I believe so. So the mentee uh, actually connect to their own mystery in their own way, in their own spiritual manner. And that's the ultimate goal. 
it's yes. not to tear the person apart from their mystery and then mold them into something that is somebody's theory. So, and seemingly institutional state religion as a, as a power, as an authority have been trying to do the latter. They don't like it when people are connecting in a way that is invincible, that makes them invincible. They like it when people forget and betray their innate way and then go with a theory. And to that, I have to add more complex complexity because, of course, throughout uh, whatever thousands of years, we've been doing in different parts of the world, different institutional religions, the spirit still comes through. So people with strong uh, connection spiritually, they use any system. They they adapted and they mean like they and adopted and this tremendous beauty that came out of all institutional religions despite all the trickery and that's just because the beauty is there like the beauty is there inside and the beauty is there in the world but the tricky part is the excuse me go ahead and uh, uh, and so when somebody institutional comes up with this synthetic replacement for spiritual connection then if a lot of people practice it, 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 it almost forms like, well, I don't want to sound cheesy, but it's almost like a field, like, like an artificial spiritual entity, because all those thoughts and all those emotions and say they're ba based on fantasy or confusion, I mean, they still generate something. Absolutely. And so then new people born into this world no longer just have to deal with the natural and their connection with the earth and with the creator and with that. So they also have to process it through that entire artificial synthetic entity. That's very confusing. And the more people believe in it, the, the more powerful it becomes. But, and I think that is the reason ultimately why the people upstairs for the, for the lack of a better world, you know, the people who really want, want consci consciously want to have everybody confused not the confused ones who just pass it on but the ones who like to maintain the state of confusion for their own power that is why it's so important for them to keep breaking people and confusing people because all unnatural things they need a lot of uh maintenance they need a lot of so they constantly have to be fed like natural things they kind of I mean, they, they also need love and energy, of course, but they also have internal power. They, yeah, they exist organically. Right. Artificial entities, they constantly need to be recreated and fed. That's mm. why they're so keen on like, beating people in the head with all the crap. So I Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Sorry. I still didn't really get much to forgiveness, but I, I got carried <laughs> away with this. So sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm... Um, um, um totally in, in appreciation of what you said. And, and if we didn't get totally to forgiveness, I'm kind of okay with that because this detour was wonderful. And I, I guess I'm going to leave it up to you because the last time we spoke, we ran out of time before we spoke about your music. And now we're coming up on close to that running out of time, time period. Do you want me to ask a question and stay on this general topic? Or do you want to share something about your music? You're the guest, so I'm going to give you a chance to decide the direction I, for that. I will, I will do both. So first on the topic of forgiveness, I'm going to be really quick. Okay. So understanding all that confusion helps me personally to be forgiving because 
uh i can look at some especially if it's people like on in my closer circle people who are close to me so they can be doing things that i don't like at all but it's almost like you see a child you see a child who has been bitten on the head forever and ever and ever and who knows maybe their parents or grandparents so it's almost like you separate the actions from the the who they are because they might be the most beautiful person in the world just very very confused so it's not like i i i choose not to be pushed over i still want to do what's good for me but at the same time not be too mad at them because I mean, they might be just confused uh, that's inspirational because i think we all need to hear that and you know when we when we look at each other's substack posts for example you know we quite often call out these 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 parasites in charge and it could come across as a call for um hatred and revenge and at times I can speak for myself as writing. I do feel these really strong negative feelings towards them. And we're not talking about, I know, so, but then when we go to the next level of the people who are confused by them and might hurt us by not talking to us or supporting vaccine mandates, that, that forgiveness at that level is the compassionate and actually like bigger picture logical choice because they, these folks um i think you call them flowers in the wind is that do i have that correct yeah either that or wobble or wobbly folk yes yeah, so there there uh, there are comrades there are allies and we're just not seeing eye to eye right now the klaus schwabs they're never our allies but there's billions of allies out there and forgiveness is such a beautiful practice but a very it can be a very challenging practice um all right so i'm going to quickly segue because i want you to at least talk a little bit we're really running out of time but i have i have another quote from you i don't know how you like being um hearing yourself quoted so much but <laughs> i'm very <laughs> flattered <laughs> okay well you wrote art is a microcosm of how we people of the 21st century are forced to walk in two worlds in one world we have marketing briefs hipsters, Instagram, Grammy Awards, Craigslist, and CNN. In another world, we are five years old. We are lying on our back on the green grass, and nobody can hurt us. So, care to comment <laughs> on your own? <laughs> well, that's such an old quote. I mean, Craigslist was still a thing back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little dated with the, with the references. And does anybody follow the Grammys anymore? I don't think so. But you, the point the point is eternal. And so that, that to me, it would be enough to make me want to be like, oh, tell me more about your art, because what a foundation from which you're working from. Well, art, I believe, is about healing. And uh, I want to comment a little bit about the path of the artist. I think that it's, well, I think the general trajectory of somebody who is born to be an artist, and it, regardless of the genre or the medium. So uh, at first, when you're very, very, very young, like a teenager, you do it to impress and you want to be praised and you I mean you just look for you know being uh being pat on the back and feedback positive feedback and elevation but then you grow out of it and obviously being praised is eternally pleasant and it's it's wonderful but then you realize that your job is to heal and then and that is the real artist's job it's always to heal it's always spiritual and then of course in our society they like it when people get stuck in this eternal teenager phase and that's because that's that's actually the most malleable the most easy to confuse person right and mm. they want everybody to stay in this phase so what's elevated is the the glory and the vanity and and it's hard to resist when you have it 
and but then it traps you so but my approach to art is about healing and now i actually find it challenging because my art prior to covid was about uh warning people against the big tech and transhumanism and this overtake of human life by the robots and i did not really intend it as an instruction manual that's the thing and then 2020 happened and everything that i was making art about is kind of just it's not art anymore it's reality so i want to do something completely completely different now and i'm figuring it out but i think that in any case art is at least the art that i appreciate personally that i'm drawn to is about being sincere and and about healing and about sharing the sincere feeling of the heart it's about the heart i love that and it, it um it's a it's a nice synchronicity because um my friend Allison Gray and I were just recently talking. She went to something called a sound bath, and she's very much immersed in how the healing powers of sound and music. And I think that's another thing where it's analogous to the way you described the uh, corruption of of spirituality. I won't even say religion, in the sense that humans create art organically and naturally, and then the people, these this predator class above us. Um, would like us. I love the way you said to keep us trapped in this kind of confused teenage stage, and not see art as a powerful form of individual self-expression and a powerful form of collective healing. Instead, it's just it's a way to get rich, famous, and and get followers on Instagram and make them a lot of money. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be paid for their art, but the foundation that you're discussing sounds like the type of art that could could heal. A generation, and that's and that's what we need. People looking for that level of honest expression and sharing it with others, and perhaps that's the um, the the avenue by which that people can connect. Who currently now are you know not not the higher ups like the flowers in the wind people. They could be at odds because of these um, the strife that's been created for us in our life. And perhaps it's art that is going to be able to supersede that and connect us in a far more fundamental way. Like it's not about specifically a mandate when you're talking about eternal art. So I think, I think there's, I look forward to seeing what you do, how you shift, but I think that uh, there's a, a powerful connection there and a powerful lesson there to not forget the most fundamental things of all. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'm into that. And <laughs> <laughs> and I and I can't even go to the venues to New York venues right now because I like it feels weird. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's it's talk about forgiveness. It's it's um I walk around my neighborhood and I might pass a small little restaurant that I, I used to like going to, but then they banned me for whatever it was, six, seven, eight months. And there is a sense of like, do I really feel like going back in there? And that's something that um I think each individual has to work out on their own, but it it's it does feel weird, it, particularly in a city like New York, where the the, um, the the difference was strictly enforced. So, um, but I guess that's something else to work on because I I love I love the the blend that you bring up of uh, feeling gratitude and being open to forgiveness. And I'll just say one more thing about forgiveness because I'm sure I feel confident that people hearing this or anything like this will feel 
almost um, outraged at the thought of forgiving someone who has, at least in their perception, harmed them physically or emotionally. And I, I think it's really important to remember that forgiveness isn't about condoning. It's about letting go of the of your resentment and letting go of the the weight you're carrying around. And you could forgive someone without condoning what they did. And sometimes you forgive someone and it never goes back to where it was, but the forgiveness is still healing. And and that's something that I strive for. I don't always I can't always do it, but it's something that I strive for. And I just want people to know that forgiveness isn't a sign of weakness or saying, All right, you were right all along. It's 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 if by by opposite, it's it's a sign of strength, and it's not condoning some type of um, abusive behavior towards you. But but it's releasing the pain and the, um, the anger and frustration and resentment you're holding on to that could be holding you back. Oh, absolutely. And I think that in a situation when the other party is not ready to deal with the situation and the truth and say sorry, that is really the only thing we can do. Or yes. Or kill our mind forever by being frustrated, which is not a happy option. So we can just let go and then wait for them, hopefully, sometime, maybe, say sorry. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, it's, it, there comes a point where forgiveness is, is a form of self-care and self-love because there may not be the um, resolution that you expect, but you will benefit from it. So, Tessa, this was a joy. I, I appreciate how you can sort of extemporaneously just riff off of something and take it into the, the areas you did. And I'm absolutely positive that the listeners are going to, you know, really appreciate everything you said and take it to heart. I will put in the show notes, all the relevant links for them to find you. And I urge everyone listening to subscribe to Tess's uh, Substack because it's, it, you, you will not regret it. So I just want to say thank you so much for doing Post Woke again. And I do hope that, you know, I see no reason why we can't continue these conversations because I certainly, I just speak for myself, I benefit from them. Oh, absolutely. Anytime, like tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Tessa. Thank you. <laughs> I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z again. I trust you're enjoying this episode. And if so, I would really, really appreciate it if you would become a paid subscriber for just $5 a month, less than 17 cents a day. You can support this Substack and this podcast. Your help is essential and it's crucial. And it's you who keeps this project going and growing. So thank you for listening. Thank you in advance for becoming a paid subscriber. And please spread the word. And while you're at it, please check the show notes for a link to a really kick-ass post-woke t-shirt. The sales have been going up. People are out there showing off what their favorite podcast is. And now it's time for you to join the team. So once again, thank you in advance. And let's get back to the show. Since Tessa and I discussed the concept of forgiveness during our conversation, I would like, instead of telling a story, I'd like to add in this context. And it is my perception of what are the four primary elements of an authentic apology. And it starts off with something that's sort of a forgotten first step, which is 
requesting permission to apologize. Because regardless of how severe or not you perceive your transgression to be, you do not have agency when it comes to forgiveness. The wronged person has every right to reject any apology attempt until they are ready. So imagine your first public statement being something like this. I did something very wrong, and for starters, I'd like to apologize for it. Then moving to number two, you must take full responsibility and show remorse. I'm sorry you feel that way is not remorseful. You don't apologize for someone else's feelings. If anyone was offended, I apologize. Again, zero contrition. Hold yourself accountable. Let them know that you realize you hurt them. Show regret, express guilt, clearly articulate why you are apologizing. And your second statement may sound like this. I did, and insert unambiguous details here. I recognize that I've hurt someone. I feel guilt, shame, and remorse, but I have no one to blame except myself. Number three, no excuses. You must promise to make amends and promise that you won't do it again. This is the time where you put remorse into an actionable context. Again, that means no excuses. Communicate with the wrong person to learn how you can best make amends for your affront. Make up for the mistake and do the work to be certain that it does not reoccur. Display your remorse in word and deed. Your third statement could be, I behave terribly. I make no excuses for this choice. Instead, I will seek input on how to make amends. I will also live up to my promise that it will never happen again. Which brings us to step number four, formally ask for forgiveness. Like step number one, this one is often neglected. Remember, forgiveness is a dialogue. So after the first three steps have been completed, do not assume that you've automatically been forgiven. Ask for forgiveness and be ready to enter into an open discussion of what that means. Be aware that it doesn't always mean a reconciliation is imminent. So imagine your fourth statement being something like this. I take full responsibility for my behavior. I apologize to whoever I hurt and whoever I let down. I promise to make amends and do the work to never do it again. And I ask all those involved for forgiveness if they are willing to grant it. Now, I hope it's clear that I'm not suggesting that anyone follow a script. These are general guidelines that each and every one of us, myself very much included, need to be reminded of on a regular basis. But if you want to be a more emotionally mature, emotionally intelligent, a more enlightened and more compassionate human being, you have to begin with an awareness of where your opportunities are to, to practice this growth. And that awareness requires you to keep your guard up. <music>